Okay, welcome back to Topics. This is episode 35, I think. Anyway, I'm still here trying to keep up with the tech news and discussions like we did until now. Hopefully, soon enough, we'll go back to normality and uh, Mayor can rejoin me and we can keep up where we left off. So I'm going to dive right in. And in terms of tech discussion, I'd like to again, address the ever-going debate between serverless and containerization. And the reason I'm doing that, well, there's actually two reasons for that. One, it's something I'm still going through in my day work. I'm still debating that with peers and co-engineers. I'm not sure why it's still going on. And my belief, just to put it on the table, is not that serverless is bad or containers are good or something like that. It's, it's not that. I'm not in love with any technology or tool. What I believe is that there's a time and place for everything. And in terms of tools, there's um, there are certain tools that match certain workloads. It's, there's that saying that if you have a hammer, everything looks like a nail. And I'm trying to avoid that. The fact that you're really good with serverless, for example, or you think that's, that's the skills you have in the organization, or on the other hand, rather, if you think that the only skill you have in the organization is, I don't know, Kubernetes or Docker or just plain instances, this doesn't mean you need to ignore everything else. It actually means that you might want to think outside of the box and explore other options based on the application. And what does that mean based on the application? Well, we'll dive right into that. Now, I said two reasons. And the other reason was last night I was helping someone in a Facebook chat group and he was asking something along the lines of, I'm using an application which sends dedicated geolocations to the users. So basically what happens is the app starts upon request because it's a function, it's a Lambda function on AWS, so a serverless app. And there's an income, incoming request and the app generates a large JSON with, I think somewhere in the neighborhood of a thousand points where they're, compute, they're, they're computed dedicated to that user. And so it doesn't work, it doesn't want to work with a database, which is another entire new layer of how you run serverless with data intensive systems like databases, but he doesn't want a database, he wants something quicker, like a cache system. So one option, well, the fastest options is, the fastest option would be to just keep that in the memory of the application, of the live micro VM that's running the current instance of the function. The other option would be to work with some kind of an external um, cache service like Redis or Memcache or something like that. Now, this creates a new world of problems, but let's first address the application itself. If you're doing that, you might want to think of keeping something that's central, like a container. And the fact that you run a serverless application because you think it's cheap for whatever reason, or you think it's faster for whatever reason, sometimes complicates things well exactly like this one. So working against an external Redis is one good option, but let's think of what that means. If you're working with an external system, you mean that, that means you need to connect to it, right? So there are a few ways to do that. First of all, sure, you can create the connection when the instance starts and then it'll be terminated on its own or you can shut it down. Um, on purpose, when the app dies or when the instance 
ends its work rather because it's a function. So that's one option. The other one is to share it globally. And that's actually something you do want to do. That's best practice with serverless. And opening it globally <clears throat> means you want to open the connection kind of outside the framework, outside the, the Lambda has a wrapper where you get the event and an endpoint and et cetera, et cetera. So outside that wrapper is where you want to open the connection. And then what happens is because you have the concept of cold starts and hot starts, and if the micro VM doesn't die because it's the, the subsequent request enters the same micro VM, the same environment, then that's a hot start. So you don't need to um, recreate the environment. And then if the connection is already open and it hasn't been closed because it's the same function and same environment, you can utilize that. And then you don't have to recreate the connection. Now, what that does is two things. First of all, in terms of latency, the connection is already open. It doesn't cost anything, air quotes cost, in terms of effort and time to open the connection. And uh, what you gain is lesser, less load on the system. And, and the system, by the system, I mean the cache uh, system, be that Redis or a database or wherever you're connecting to. And the reason I'm saying that is if you open too many connections, what happens to the data service you're working with is that starts to get a load it's not expecting in terms of CPU. Um, let's think about Redis, for example. That's a highly intensive memory intensive application that's designed to work with high loads of RAM data, right? Keeping things in the memory. Well, when you're starting to you're using the cache, but you're starting to starting to overload it with connections. By overloading, I mean thousands and thousands of connections that keep opening and maybe hopefully closing after a while. It starts to get intensive in terms of CPU, and then you you start scaling the system not actually based on the memory you're keeping inside it, but actually the the CPU workload for you to be able to handle the number of connections. And that becomes much more expensive than just scaling it for memory. And believe me, I know. So a few things you can do. First of all, yes, you can hack yourself around managing a centralization or, or a proxy that manages the connection. And that's really a good option when you're working with some uh, Postgres database or any kind of database. You can keep a database proxy that manages the connections. That's one thing. With cache, it's a little bit more complicated. There are solutions for that. But my question is this, if that's your case, why not run the same application or the scale of applications on top of a container? You don't have to, you know, be, I think I've said it like a thousand times, you don't have to be a master of Kubernetes or anything like that. There are things like ECS, there are things that's like ECS on Fargate, which is basically like taking a, a Lambda function. If you think Lambda is so simple and you don't have whatever, the DevOps capabilities, ECS Fargate is basically the same. It's just a few clicks away from being able to install an application of your own. And the same goes for other services, right? There are Fly.io and Heroku and things like that that you can use to run your application if it's a really small one. And that's why you're actually running on serverless. So that's my question, basically. And, and I hate myself for asking it and people hate me for asking it. But if something is not working or is too complicated to handle, maybe you need to think of of the platform you're using. So why run a serverless function? If it has a great reason, be my guest, do it. But if it's not and it starts to complicate your life, you might wanna think otherwise. Um, and I don't wanna get all that negative about serverless. It has great applications. So 
let's talk about that. When does it make sense? When do you want to use a serverless application and not use a container? Well, think of that. First of all, you have the obvious reasons. When it's something that's cron-based or is not that load, has no load, like zero load. Um, I'll give you a live, ex a live example. A cousin of mine built an application for his friends and he wanted to have, um, what was it? It was football gambling, right? So once a week on match day, around 40 or 50 of his friends would log in, not all at the same time, would place their bet and maybe look on the numbers or view the tables and that's it. They dog out. This is basically it. So there's zero load. It's 99% of the time not required to be available. If real time is a thing which is not in this application, then you might want to consider something else, but it's not. So you don't care about hot starts and cold starts. So that's that put that's the last nail that you need in the coffin here, but there's no reason to run it on anything else. Lambda is perfect. It's easy to deploy. It's easy to handle. You don't need anything else beyond that. It's just a request that's coming in once a week or 50 requests or 100 requests that comes in not at the same time once a week. It's nothing. Even if you hold those connections we talked about, which he doesn't, but even if you do hold connections against the database or a cache instance, that's not that big of a deal. So that's a great thing. If it's a small application, there's not too much load. Now, if you do want to have like, let's take this application, for example, and let's say that it scale, he scales it up. He gets a thousand or 20,000 users next month or the next year. What you want to do is one of two things. Either consider the platform, that's obvious. But if you do want to keep yourself on serverless, first of all, you need to be mindful for the fact that you're running on a, on a micro VM instance that starts and shuts down. It depends on the platform. I think in AWS is something like 30 seconds. In Azure, I think it's three minutes, something like that. At the end of the day, it's a disposable environment. So what you want to think about and be mindful of is this exactly. If you're opening connections, if you're connecting to systems like um, variable management or parameter management, or of course, secrets management, every time a new micro VM starts up, you need to connect to it, create a connection. And that means both holding the connection in, in the air and both creating the connection. If it's a secrets management, you probably need to decrypt stuff, uh, encrypt and decrypt stuff. This takes time. And in Lambda, at least on AWS, you pay for seconds used, not only for resources. And if those seconds mount up, I think you have like a million seconds a month for free. It used to be like that, at least. If this starts to mount up, it becomes really, really expensive. So Lambda has this extremity. It starts very, very cheap to be basically nothing. It costs nothing. But when you start to scale, like real scale, it becomes much more not only complicated, but expensive than just a normal application deployed on a on a containerized system. Of course, if you run on EC2 rather than Fargate, then you save another 30%, which I think are actually worth to expand, but that's it. So uh, that's what I had to say. Just another ever going debate that nobody solves. And I think the main takeaway here is don't fall in love with a certain technology or don't fall in love with the concept or the notion that you have certain skills and that's all you can do. And it happens with serverless and it happens with Kubernetes and it even happens with ECS, each technology. People just think, okay, that's what I have. That's what I know. That's what I'll do, which is okay to begin with. But if you don't catch it early on and you do scale to some point, it either becomes really, really expensive in terms of how much you pay 
the end of the at the end of the month the cloud bill or expensive in the fact that you you need to hire people you need to hire the skills or or you know gain the skills in some way it costs so plan the platform is all i'm saying you don't have to over engineer everything from the get-go but please do catch it early on and i'm you can probably hear i'm, I'm speaking for from experience i think uh we leave it at that and that's the debate for the week and like every week it's pretty short but like every week with mayor we had a few links that we mentioned to cool technology and new stuff so this this week i have uh two of them one is if you ever played around with uh, hacking or bug bounty, especially around Linux, which I did a lot, um, there's a technique that's called privilege escalation. You probably know it if you come from sysadmin uh, world. And privilege escalation is the notion of SSHing or gaining access to a terminal or a system and then um, escalating your privileges maybe to the point that you're the super user on the instance or just an elevated user at all that has further permissions like i don't know reading passwords changing other users passwords gaining access to sensitive data that you shouldn't be able to stuff like that it's more of a traditional linux system kind of thing because it's not if you log in today to an ec2 instance you don't really care about these kind of things but traditional systems really really mind about privilege escalations and how they manage different permissions and roles within the system so anyway there's a nice repo on github a really famous one it's called uh gtfo beans you can guess what gtfo means it's uh get the f out uh, beans and it's a just a list of privilege escalation tools that you can use for any kind of a nix system i mean unique system um it's just binaries that are useful for that so that's really cool to play with and by the way uh, there's something that's called war games which will teach you slowly different security concepts within linux it's really cool to it's designed as a game so you basically ssh into the first level you can play with that learn about one thing like privilege escalation for example and it walks you through the process and when you're done you can ssh into the next level you get a key and then you use that as kind of a capture the flag thing and if you really like that there is there are many platforms um, that you can play CTF capture the flag in, in many others. One of them is Hack the Box, which I really liked and played for years. So I'll leave a link to all of that below. The next link that I have is called TopGrade. TopGrade is another Rust written tool, cool tool on GitHub. And TopGrade basically keeps you on top of every upgrade you have on your machine. For example, you have you need to update your operating system and you want to upgrade Chrome or Brave or Arc or whatever else you're using. TopGrid basically looks at all of your applications and covers you end to end in terms of upgrades and updates to, to keep yourself up to date. Some people, I think I'm one of them, don't really want to keep everything up to date and, and have latest on everything because I think it's not always best practice. But on some other cases, if you have like policy on your workplace that dictates that at least a large portion of what you run on your machine has to get the latest updates not for the updates but more for the security security updates um because that's security policy yeah in the organization and it's quite common i think so that's something that can can really help and it's a really cool tool to just check out i'll leave a link to that in the show notes as well um i think this is it it's uh, again quite short, but it's only me. And hopefully soon enough, Mayor will be back here and we'll be back to 
business as usual. That's it. Have a nice week. Um, things that I want to mention. One, I have a newsletter. I mentioned it last week. I'll leave a link to that as well. So things like the discussion we just had and cool links and cool tools are things I will share hopefully on a weekly basis. So that's one. And the other is if you want to contact us, at least me, I'll leave a link to my personal telegram so you can reach out and let me know what you think if you have different requests or comments. So that's um, something else. That's it. I'll catch you next week. Have a nice and quiet weekend. Bye.